Welcome back to Weber County's Greatest Generation with another story about one of our World War II heroes. Today, our story is about Captain Wayne Allison Fisher. He was born July 12, 1910, a son of William George and Magdalena, or Lena Allison Fisher. He grew up on 2359 Van Buren and was the youngest of five children with four older sisters. He graduated from Ogden High School, where it reports he was active in athletics. And then he graduated from the University of Utah and studied medicine at Columbia in New York for two years. He was a reserve officer and was called into active duty in 1940. And early in 1941, he was assigned to Camp Roberts as an instructor. On July 17th of 1941, the Standard Examiner reported, Officer goes to Pacific Islands. Lieutenant Wayne A. Fisher was graduated from the U.S. Field Artillery School at Fort Sill, Oklahoma in March spent two days in Ogden with his parents, Mr. and Mrs. W.G. Fisher, and two sisters, Mrs. R. Mitchell and Mrs. LeGrand Lund. He left by plane for San Francisco and sailed Tuesday on the President Coolidge for duty in the Philippine Islands. He was assigned to teach field artillery tactics to Philippine soldiers and placed in command of a Philippine regiment. On December 19th, his family received a wire from Manila saying, well and happy, Merry Christmas and love to all, which is odd because the Philippines was attacked before that. So anyway, it was reported to his parents in March of 1942 that he was missing in action. On 9th of April, 1943, an article read, Day recalls sad happening. Mother of officer held by Japs urges buying of war bonds. The article goes on to read, America was remembering today one of the bitterest days in its history, the first anniversary of the fall of Bataan. At least one Ogden mother has an unhappy reminder of that day. Mrs. W.G. Fisher of 2359 Van Buren, whose son, Captain Wayne Allison Fisher, is being held as a prisoner at the Japanese. In an interview today, Mrs. Fisher said relative to the second war loan drive to get underway on Monday, April 12th, Americans at home must buy second war loan bonds to the limit if we want to be able to face our boys when they come home. We'll have to be an all-out effort for victory now. They are suffering for their lives. It's the homes right here the boys of this town are fighting for. Our war loans are their protection. We either back them all the way or we let them down. I don't know of a woman in this community who doesn't wish peace and victory were right here, right now. Well, wishing for it won't bring it. Every second war loan bond we buy now will bring that day much nearer. We can't afford to wait for another Pearl Harbor to make us fight for victory. We're all of us doing what we can to win the war, but we have got to find a way to do more. I am raising my own vegetables, making overclothes, working for the Red Cross, but I'm constantly planning new ways to get money to buy bonds. That comes first with me. So in August of 1944, there's a newspaper article that said, Prisoner of Japs writes parents. Mr. and Mrs. W.G. Fisher have received word through the War Department, Washington, D.C., of the whereabouts of their son, Captain Wayne Allison Fisher, one of the first prisoners taken on the Philippine Islands in 1942. The message, written on a card, reads as follows. I am interned at the Philippine Military Prison Camp Number 1. 
My health is excellent. It is good to have this opportunity to write and tell you that I am well and hoping and praying that you are all the same and that you are not worrying about me. Keep the home fires burning until that great day when we can all be united. Signed, Wayne A. Fisher. Continuing the newspaper article, this is the first word that has been received by Mr. and Mrs. Fisher from their son since December 1942, when they were notified that he had been taken prisoner. From March to December of 1942, he was reported as missing. So this is the first word that his parents have received that he was still alive. So as we talked about with Daryl Clark, the soldiers who were taken prisoner um, at Bataan and on Corregidor were part of the Bataan Death March. Over 75,000 American and Filipino soldiers were forced to march 65 miles to the city of San Fernando. So it is estimated that over 13,000 American and Filipino soldiers died along the way. Those who were too weak to walk were bayoneted as they lay upon the ground. Our soldiers were constantly threatened, ridiculed, and spit on by the Japanese as they rode along the prisoners in jeeps and trucks. One of the American POWs who survived told that while he and his group were marching, one of the trucks took aim at a group of soldiers and ran them all down. So as we talked about with Daryl Clark, the Japanese had badly underestimated how many prisoners there would be. They had estimated about 25,000, and now we're faced with 75,000 American and Filipino prisoners. After they reached San Fernando, their destination was Camp O'Donnell, and they were crammed into small boxcars. 100 men were loaded in a car that was only made for 40. There was no air, and the heat was suffocating. Camp O'Donnell had never been completed, and so each day the Japanese would call out prisoners to go in the hot sun with little water to work on finishing the camp. After about six weeks there, over 17,000 of the American and Filipino prisoners had died, and the decision was to move the POWs that could travel 60 miles to the east to the Capanotuan prison camp. An American who was already there reported that every day truckloads of prisoners arrived, it was reported that in those truckloads of about 40 men, several would already be dead. There are many books written by survivors about the conditions of and the life in the camp. He reported that the water supply was so inadequate that they were forced to line up to fill canteens, sometimes remaining in line as long as two to three hours to get one canteen of water. They were issued small quantities of rice in bulk, and this was cooked by the individual camp organizations which were set up for the men. The prisoners received two meals a day, steamed rice with occasional fruit, soup, or meat, and at Christmas time they were allowed a small package from the Red Cross containing coffee and tobacco. The POWs were able to organize the camps themselves, and they set up recreational activities. They also had a library of about 3,000 books donated by the Red Cross, but each week hundreds of POWs would die and the Americans would have to bury them. One prisoner of war took upon himself to try and keep records of everyone who came, their names and where they came from. All of those records had to be hidden and he would write them on whatever scrap of paper he could find. In most cases, this was the only record of what had happened to the POWs. At first, the Americans would try to escape, and those that were caught were paraded before the other prisoners and then beheaded. So to try and prevent escape attempts, the men were assigned into groups of ten. If any one of that group tried to escape, the others would be tortured and killed. 
So our Captain Fisher had survived, and this is where he spent from the summer of 1942 to the winter of 1944. On September 24, 1944, the first American air raid was conducted over the island of Luzon, where Cabana Tuan was located. The Japanese were immediately concerned and planned to remove all POWs who could be moved to Japan. On October 19, 1944, those that were able, including Captain Fisher, were moved to the Bilibid prison camp in Manila to be transferred to Japan. There were about 500 men that were too ill to travel, and they remained in the camp. There were no ships available until December 13, 1944, when 1,619 prisoners were loaded onto the ship, the Orioko Maru, a passenger liner. They were forced to wait on the pier most of the day, while a large number of Japanese soldiers and civilians were loaded onto the ship. Those 1,600-plus prisoners were placed six decks down in holds intended for baggage without adequate air. 600 were crammed into the forward hold. The temperature in the hold was estimated to be about 135 degrees. Without food or water, the prisoners started to die. Constant yelling to the Japanese guards on duty were ignored. Early the next morning, the ship was discovered by American naval bombers who, unaware that Americans were on board, attacked, causing more casualties. The American prisoners with medical training were brought to the deck to help the Japanese wounded and dying, but there was little that anyone could do. Early in the morning of December 15th, the Japanese ordered everyone to abandon ship, but before they could do this, American bombers began attacking again. One bomb dropped through the shaft of the rear hold, killing 200 American prisoners. The ship was sinking about 250 yards from the shore in the Subic Bay, and those Americans still alive dove overboard, attempting to swim. Japanese who had evacuated the night before set up machine guns on the shore and began firing. Several who were unable to swim and were clinging to wreckage in the water were shot, as well as others trying to swim to shore. Those who survived were rounded up and moved back by rail to San Fernando. It is reported that Captain Fisher died sometime in this battle. We don't know whether he was among the 200 killed in the hold or if he got out and was then shot. So that's the official story. On July 24, 1945, in the Standard Examiner, it read, Ogden Captain met death on Jap's ship, report made. Captain Wayne A. Fisher, 34, son of Mr. and Mrs. W.G. Fisher, one of the first prisoners taken on the Philippine Islands in 1942 by the Japs, was killed aboard a Jap transport December 15, 1944. It was learned today. Captain Fisher was interned at the Philippine Military Prison Camp No. 1 until November 15, 1944, when he was transferred to Manila. He was checked out with other officers on a Jap transport bound for the Japanese homeland on December 12, 1944. The transport was reported as sunk on December 15. Surviving are his parents and the following sisters, Mrs. Ralph Mitchell and Mrs. Catherine Allen of Ogden, Mrs. Harold Browning, Centralia, Illinois, and Mrs. Ruth Tuttle of Holiday. So that was what they had learned until February 6th when the newspaper reported again, parents received letters on career of late officer. Mr. and Mrs. W.G. Fisher, 2359 Van Buren, received two letters recently about their son, the late Captain Wayne A. Fisher. One letter was from General Douglas MacArthur and the other from a fellow serviceman, Lieutenant Colonel John Curtis of Forest Hills, New York.
The letter from General MacArthur is the same letter that was received by the Darrell Clark family. And when I read it, I thought, oh, that's the same letter. But when I thought about it, he is sending this personally signed letter to thousands of families whose sons died in the Philippines. So the letter from Colonel Curtis provides a lot of information about what was going on, and it reads in part, In December 1941, we organized 12 batteries of self-propelled artillery. I was placed in command of Battery A, and Wayne had command of one of the other batteries. This was at Fort Statzenberg. Wayne and I were already good friends, as we had served together at Camp Del Pilar Philippine Artillery School. I remained until our withdrawal in Bataan. Wayne's battery was sent north to Luzon, where the Japs landed, and was active in the fight there. In January 1942, we withdrew into Bataan and were reorganized into two groups. Wayne and I were in the same group. We were heavily engaged on the Occupé line, supporting American infantry. He was extremely popular with his men. He did a wonderful job directing fire, and the officers and men of the infantry still speak of how our fire directed by Wayne was instrumental in holding the line. On January 27th, we withdrew into a new line, and Wayne took command of F Battery, whose commander had been killed. He remained in command of that battery until Baton fell on April 9th. About April 6th, Wayne had taken two guns to an anti-tank position and was cut off from the rest of the group by a Jap breakthrough in the line, and I did not see him again until April 20th in Camp O'Donnell, where he arrived in good condition. About June 15, 1942, we were sent to Camp Cabanatuan. In July of 1944, I was sent there, so Wayne and I were together until we sailed from Japan on December 13th. As you know, we were bombed on December 15th in Subic Bay. I was injured in the bombing, and things are very hazy in my mind. However, I am sure that Wayne reached the shore and was with us on the second boat that was bombed in Formosa on January 9, 1945. We were in separate holds of the ship, and after the bombing, I was told that Wayne and others had been instantly killed. Our American planes had no way of identifying the unmarked ships. Wayne was the most handsome man I have ever known, and he was extremely well-liked. It is impossible for me to put down on paper how I feel, but I know you will understand. I would be happy to answer any questions you wish answered and shall write again soon. So I was researching and trying to find out about a ship that was sunk in Formosa, but I have no information, and his death is listed as December 15, 1944. Captain Fisher's name is also on the Wall of Remembrance in the Ogden City Cemetery. So there's another amazing story about those 500 that were left in Cabanatuan. About this time, the Japanese were killing all POWs in the camp after the Americans had landed. Knowing this, the Americans sent out to rescue those 500 men in Cabanatuan. You can find this amazing story of courage on YouTube, and it is well worth the effort if you have the time. I was able to find a lot more detail in Captain Fisher's story about how he served and where he was and who he was with than I've been able to with other prisoners. I think it's amazing how much history we still can glean from the newspaper and the records of World War II that are still available. So that's it for today's podcast, so be sure and join us next time for another amazing story.